Welcome this morning. We're so thankful that you're here with us. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that you're welcome and invite you to come back and be with us at Midway, any opportunity that you might have. I want you to imagine with me this morning that you are watching a movie. Maybe it's a Hallmark movie. Now, it doesn't make any difference which Hallmark movie that you're watching. They're all going to end up in the same place anyway. But we're going to imagine this particular one has a scene where the fiancé carries his girlfriend, his future wife, to meet his family for the very first time. And so you're looking at this movie, and you see in the movie that there is that obligatory meal, and, and you know that it's one of those tense things. You really can't be comfortable, and, and you really, you know, you, you try, but there's, you know, there's this, just this being tense all, 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 you know, all the meal long. Well, they finish the meal, and they get up, you know, and clean up the table and everything, and then the mother of the son goes, and she gets one of those old photo albums, and she starts showing him, or his uh, girlfriend, his future wife, she starts showing him the, you know, his baby pictures, and, and she shows her the... Uh, uh, the first birthday, and, and she shows her, you know, him playing t-ball, and then basketball, and baseball, and football, and, and all of those things, and, and she continues on, and you know, you've got those pictures in there that you've always threatened your children with, that you took, that they were, you know, that they were being silly, and you said, we're going to show this to your future husband or your future wife, you know, she gets those out, and, and everything just sort of, you know, eases up a little bit. But as the girl, she looks at the pictures and sees the things there, she sees that husband that she's about to marry, that man that she's about to marry, who he was, and a lot about who he truly is. I want you to understand this morning that the Old Testament is somewhat of a photo album of Christ. We may not be comfortable with it at the beginning, but as we look and we see, we see so many things about our Lord that are revealed to us in the Old Testament. In particular this morning, we want to think for a little while about some of the things in the book of Exodus. And as we do that, we'll notice a, a number of things, but as we begin, we might simply begin by observing that the book of Exodus is uh, the deliverance and redemption of God's people from Egyptian bondage. And, and, and that's the overriding theme throughout the entire book as we look through it. And yet, as we look inside that book, the imagery and the symbolism that is there points us toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so we want to think about that. You know, if we look at the book of Exodus this morning, we would understand that the, Egypt, the, that the Israelites' bondage in Egypt is a picture of our bondage to sin. We do realize that we are a slave to sin, don't we? If we dedicate our life to that without Christ, of course we do that. In the book of Romans chapter 6 at verse number 16, Paul writes and says, Do you not know that if you present your bodies to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And so we give ourselves to someone in John chapter 8 at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so the Israelites, back in the day when they were 
in that bondage for those 400 and some odd years that, that they lived in, in Egypt, we, we understand that, that they became servants and, and the, the masters became overbearing, if you will. And so we look at it and we see that sin. But you know what? Not only do we see the sin, but as we look at Pharaoh, we can see Satan within him. Not that he was Satan, but we can see his actions pointing toward that. You see, the adversary rebelled against God and he seeks to take us with him. He seeks to keep us as slaves of sin. When we look at the Bible, we understand from passages such as ones in the book of Job that Satan desired to have Job, did he not, in both chapters 1 and 2. And not only that, but we see in the New Testament that the Bible teaches us that Satan desires to have us. For example, he desired to have Peter and the apostles. If you look at the book of Luke, chapter 22, at verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, talking to the one that we know more as Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. That's interesting to me that in that passage, even though Jesus is addressing Peter, Simon, that the, the word that he used, the pronoun that he used is plural. It, it wasn't just Peter that Satan was desiring to have. It was all those who were present. It was the, the other apostles as we know them. And then in verse number 32, the Bible says, Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, singular, talking to Peter himself, I have prayed for you that your, again singular, faith may not fail. And when you, singular, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know, Peter was one of the most vulnerable. He was the one who in just the next few words is going to tell the Lord that, hey, I'm not going to, uh, if it costs me my life, I'm not going to forsake you. And then it wouldn't be, a, the sun wouldn't rise again before he would do that and deny him three times. And you can imagine how tough that must have been for him, you know, to realize that the Lord would predict that that's exactly what he would do. And, and some people in that situation would just give up. But as we look at it, we understand that the devil is after all of us. And... and if he catches us, we shouldn't, like Peter, we shouldn't give up. We should go forward and make our lives right with God. But again, thinking about the book of Exodus, the plagues, they remind us of Jesus. On them, it reminds us of the miracles that Jesus would be able to perform and in front of the people so that they would be able to see it. We can talk about the Passover and how that it teaches us about redemption through blood. Through the shedding of the blood, the lamb must be killed and so forth. And, and we could talk about that in great detail this morning. But not only that, we see also that Moses is a pattern, a model, and a type of Christ who is our deliverer. And we're going to come back to that one in just a moment. We're going to talk about that more but also when we think about the, 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 the Israelites in the book of Exodus, we also understand something about the Red Sea and how that prefigures, if you will, the, the point of salvation that was uh, had by the Israelites. If you remember the story, you remember that even though Pharaoh agreed to release the people, 
And they fled out of the, the land of Egypt or were fleeing out of the land of Egypt. We understand and know that Pharaoh changed his mind, didn't he? And so he gathered up his army and he got his chariots and all of the warriors with him, soldiers if you will, and they'll go off chasing after the children of Israel. And Moses has led them to the Red Sea. And now they have the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming along behind them. They've escaped out of Egypt and yet they're still not safe. And so, as we uh, look at that, we understand that God gives direction to, eat, uh, to Moses and he directs him to hold out his staff and basically we see the Red Sea opening up. And the children of Israel able to walk through the Red Sea on dry land, the Bible says. As we look at the book of Exodus chapter 14, especially verses 10 through 13, but... Look at particularly verse 13. The Bible says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. And He will work for you this day. You see, it wasn't until after they had crossed the Red Sea and that sea had stopped the army of Pharaoh that these people were truly saved from Egypt. By the same token, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we read about that event. And in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes and says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You see, it was that sea, the passing through the sea, that brought them to the point of their salvation. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament, book of Mark, chapter number uh, 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You see, it's not until we reach that point that we have salvation or forgiveness of sins. And so I would encourage one who has never obeyed the gospel by being baptized, don't stop on the shore of the Red Sea because you're still not safe yet. And yet when we turn to the pages of the Bible, especially in the book of Exodus, we see all of that playing out before us. We have God's laws that are given on Mount Sinai when we turn to the book of Exodus and we see that the people were to live by those things and it was their obedience to those things that God, uh, by which they would have a relationship with God. And we see the same in the New Testament. And so because of the theme of the book of Exodus, that being the deliverance and the redemption of God's people, how could it not be a picture, show us a picture of Christ? Be an album, if you will, of Christ. What I want us to do for the next few minutes, the remaining part of our time, is spend some time looking at something, uh, a very important picture, if you will, from the picture album. Now, we're going to turn to the pages of the New Testament, and we're going to see that uh, it's mentioned in the book of John, chapter 1, at verse 21. And so if you have your Bible, you may want to turn over there. The people are talking to John the baptizer, and they ask him a question. They said, what then? He said, uh, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. 
And then they said, are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? And of course, John answers no. But that, that brings something up to us. The prophet. Are you the prophet? In John chapter 1 at verse 25, they ask him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Who is the prophet? What are these people talking about? Who is it that they're talking about? Look at Jesus Himself as He feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6 at verse 14. He took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men plus the women and children and then took up 12 baskets full of fragments left over. And so that was an amazing thing in front of these people. And in John 6 verse 14, when the people saw the sign that He had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Man, these folks are, 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 are concerned about the prophet. Why is it that they're so concerned about him? In the book of John, chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, Jesus says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Uh, Moses is going to write about Jesus, but look at John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Moses wrote about him. Now, they're asking about a prophet. Who is that prophet? Who is it that Moses is writing about? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now watch this next part. Like me. The Lord is going to raise up, Jehovah is going to raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is to Him you shall listen. Now, the people were asking about the prophet, but they got it from Moses, and Moses said, that prophet that you're going to be looking for is a prophet like me. Now that brings us back to the book of Exodus. What makes Jesus a prophet like Moses? You see, it's in the book of Exodus that we're first introduced to Moses, isn't it? The little baby that's born, that's placed in, uh, in a little basket and put in the river. It, it, it's, it's there that we see in Moses, we see him, you know, as he tries to protect someone from, uh, uh, from, a, uh, from a man who is uh, unrighteously beating him because he's not doing exactly the way he wanted him to, to work. We see Moses, you know, in the book of Exodus as he goes out into the wilderness having fled because he killed an Egyptian. He was afraid he was going to be killed. And it's there that he sees a burning bush. And we see him talking to God and we see all of the things that are related. You see, it's in, in the book of Exodus that we are introduced to the man by the name of Moses. But Moses himself in the book of Deuteronomy said that prophet... And that's who these people were looking for in the New Testament in the days of Jesus. That prophet is like 
me. So how is Jesus like Moses? Let's look at a few things together this morning. What makes Jesus a prophet like Moses? First of all, I would suggest to you that Moses seemed to enjoy a special relationship with God. You see, it seems that he he had that relationship that was greater with God than the children of Israel. Did God love the children of Israel? Yes. But he picked out Moses. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, there Moses writes and said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, this is God speaking, He said, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And then he says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see that relationship? God from heaven said, I have a relationship with Moses, not like with the other prophets. In the book of Exodus again, chapter 33, verse number 11, the Bible says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. That special relationship. In the book of Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the seventy of the elders of Israel and worship from from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. God says, I have a relationship with Moses. I am speaking to you through Moses. And none of the others measure up. None of the others have that same privilege. None of the others have that kind of relationship with God. And the same is true with Jesus. In the New Testament, John chapter 1 and verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Nobody else knew God like Jesus, like the second person of the Godhead. The Son of Man, the Christ, our Savior. In the book of John, chapter 5, verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Notice the wording. Whatever He sees the Father doing. The relationship is close enough for Jesus to behold Him. In the book of John, chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And still you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, there's that relationship that Jesus had with God because He was God, if you remember, and if you've been with us as we've been studying Jesus this year. 
Moses had a relationship similar to that. Moses was not deity. Moses was just a man. But he had a special relationship. And our Lord has an even more special relationship. Therefore, we are to listen to Him as Moses pointed out. You know, there are a lot of other things that are are similar about Moses and about Jesus. As we think about it, both of those guys were uh, rescued in childhood, were they not? Moses, as I've already mentioned, placed in the basket. Why was he placed in the basket? Well, because mom and daddy just didn't want food with him. They put him out in there, you know, let him float away. No, because they had been ordered to put to death every male child that was born to the Israelites. And so Pharaoh's daughter comes along and finds him and raises him. He was somewhat rescued, if you will. Same is true with Jesus, was it not? When we think about Jesus, we think about what is said in the book of Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, where Herod, the king, said, hey, we're going to kill every single male child two years old and under. That way we'll make sure we get Christ. And it was by vision that Joseph was told to flee and to go down into Egypt, by the way, in order for him to be saved. And finally they would hear and then they would move home. They would move back to Nazareth. And so they're both rescued in childhood. Not only that, but both were sent by God to be saviors of their people. Were they not? Both were sent to be saviors of their people. In the book of Exodus chapter 3 at verse number 10, God is speaking to Noah, Moses rather, and he said, Come. And I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And in the book of Matthew chapter 1 at verse 21, the Bible says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then next on your sheet, they both radiate God's glory. Both Moses and Jesus do that. Exodus chapter 35, or 34, verse 35. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. You see, when he spoke to God, he would come back. And when the Bible says, we read just a few minutes ago, that God spoke with him face to face, like a man speaks with his friend, when Moses would return from speaking to God, to say that he had a glow about him was an understatement. He literally did, so much so that he had to cover his face up so the people could look at him. Now, in a very similar sense, Jesus did that as well. In Matthew uh, uh, chapter 17, at verse number 2, at the transfiguration, the Bible says... And he was transfigured before them, Peter, James, and John. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. I don't suggest that you do that. Since we're not having liquid sunshine today, that we've had so much of, I can see reflecting off of those vehicles sitting out in the parking lot, the sun. I don't, I don't suggest that you go outside and look directly at it. You might harm your eyes. But the Bible says Jesus' face 
glowed like the sun. I wonder if it hurt the eyes of Peter, James, and John. They both radiated the, the glory of God when they were in His presence, when they had been with Him, to know Him. And, and so, in, in many other ways, <coughs> of course, Jesus radiated the glory of God as well. Uh, but not only that, in, in the Old Testament, we book of Exodus and so forth, we see that both Moses and Jesus feed the multitudes. In Exodus chapter 16, at verse 15, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? What are they talking about? Uh, they didn't know what it was, and Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. The manna. Miraculously feeding probably millions of people. Sustaining them. Then again, in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 17 through 21, we only have five loaves, and what he did was take those five loaves, multiply it, feed those who were present on that day. But not only that, Moses and Jesus feed the multitude, and Jesus would identify himself as the bread of life, John chapter number 6. And so in a very spiritual sense as well, Jesus is feeding us, Well, we see that both Moses and Jesus take control of the sea, do we not? When we go back to Exodus 14, verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Then we turn to the pages of the New Testament, Jesus is in a boat. And in Matthew 8, verse 26, he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Both took control of the sea. Not only that, but this is very interesting to me. Both Moses and Jesus intercede for their people. Both Moses and Jesus intercede for their people. I encourage you to go back to the book of Exodus chapter 32 and look at verses 8 through 14. We don't have time this morning to read that in great detail, talk about it in great detail. But to say that God was fed up with the children of Israel because of their, their constant yakking and complaining and, and you just couldn't make them happy and they'd turn away from God as they're there in the wilderness and they're going to the promised land, to say all of that is an understatement. You know, I I can't help but wonder, when God looks at us and sees all of the griping and the complaining that we do, if He doesn't sort of have the same feelings, but God became fed up. And you know what God said? God has a discussion with Moses, and God said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to say the word and they're going to be gone. I'll destroy them. And then what I'll do is I'll raise up a, another people from you, from your seed. And in Exodus chapter four, uh, verses thirty-two, verses uh, chapter thirty-two, verses eight through fourteen, Moses stands there and pleads with God. God, don't do it. Why? Why should the Folks down in Egypt, why should they look at you and, and say, 
you didn't keep up with what you said you'd do. God, don't do it. If you're going to kill them, go ahead and, go ahead and kill me too. Moses intercedes. And God allows the children of Israel to continue on. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Consequently, because He is our high priest, consequently He is able to save to the uttermost and to draw near to God through Him, uh, those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Jesus is there today for you and for me. And just as Moses interceded for the people back then, God, don't destroy them. Our Lord stands before the Father and says, Father, I understand what it's like. And because of my blood, let's forgive them yet again. Moses and Jesus both intercede for their people. Not only that, but both Moses and Jesus were rejected by their people. You do remember that, don't you? Both were rejected by their people. Let's just go to Acts chapter 7, verse 35. Stephen is talking to the Jewish leaders and he says, This Moses whom they rejected saying, Who made you a ruler and a king, a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. These people wanted to get rid of Moses. Some of them did at least. And they rejected him. They turned away from him. And the same is true with our Lord. John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 came to his own people. And his own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become the children of God. Oh, we could spend an entire 30 minutes or more talking about Jesus giving us the right. But that's not our focus this morning. Our focus is on His people rejected Him, just like Moses that we read about in the Old Testament. Not only that, but this. Both Moses and Jesus had to die for the people to enter the promised land. Go back with me. Let's simply go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. Talking about Moses, the Bible says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And He swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die Look at that. I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. As long as Moses was leading the people, they couldn't cross over the Jordan River and take the land. 
Moses had to first die for them to be able to do that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Without the salvation that is brought by the death of Jesus Christ, by His burial and resurrection, we would have no hope of heaven. You see, it was through Moses that God accomplished the salvation of His people from Egyptian bondage that we read about in the book of Exodus. And it's through His Son Jesus that God accomplishes the salvation of His people from their sins today. No wonder those people were asking back in John's day, are you the prophet? And no wonder when the people saw what Jesus did in multiplying the fish and the, the loaves and feeding those that great multitude, more than 5,000 people, no wonder they would say, this is the prophet. They knew he was someone. Someone Moses had written about, the prophet who would be like Moses. As we close our lesson this morning, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we had that read to us this morning, actually read down through verse number 12. But in verses 1 through 6, again, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Oh yeah, I want to compare Jesus with Moses. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. And Moses was faithful and God had a relationship with him but it was as a servant. God has a relationship with Jesus, not as a servant, but as a son. I owned a business and someone attacked one of my workers. You know, I do my best to protect that worker. But if somebody attacked my son, it would be a whole different story, would it not? Later on in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged 
the Spirit of grace. Good friends, Moses was a picture of the coming Christ. Yet he was not the Christ. He was simply a servant. God has sent His Son. Those who rejected Moses received the death penalty. And what a question that is. That the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, if you think they deserved it, what do you think people deserve who won't listen to our Lord? Who choose not to obey Him. Not just those who are outside of Christ, who have never obeyed the gospel of Christ. But the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to those who are Christians who are in danger of falling away and turning their back on the Lord. Is that what you've done today? Maybe you're a Christian, and yet your life has been lived as though Christ is meaningless. If the people who rejected Moses and his law were worthy of death, what do you think you're worthy of? But you don't have to pay that price because Jesus gave his life so that you could be saved. That ought to do something for every single one of us. It may be this morning that you've never obeyed the gospel and you want to today. Or you've left the Lord having once become a Christian and turned your back on Him and you want to come back. If you need to respond to His invitation, do it right now.